As I said a few weeks ago, we want to think not just about the need to pray and um, the challenge to, to, to come and pray, but to think about what is it we pray for, how do we pray, what should be the content of our prayers. And this morning we're thinking about persecution and how we pray for persecuted Christians. So hopefully this will be helpful, practical, as well as spiritually encouraging and challenging for us all. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word to us. We thank you for the encouragement of what we've just read. Thank you too for the challenge of what it means to us. And we pray this morning as we think about prayer and think about how to pray for those who suffer persecution, that you would teach us, that you would inform us, you would encourage us. And Lord, as we think a little bit about our own context and what this means for us, that again, we'd, we'd hear from you and bless one another. May it be for your glory and for your kingdom. Amen. When you watch videos, as we have just seen this morning, and you see what some Christians go through around the world, and then you think about prayer and praying for them, where do you begin? Often when we think of Christians who suffer, we think of places like North Korea, places in the, in the Middle East or China, people who experience severe opposition, very different from any opposition that we might face. And because we can't relate exactly to their experience, sometimes we don't know what to pray. Maybe that's for you. Some will say, well, let's pray that God will deliver them from persecution. The persecution would stop. Others would say, no, don't pray that it stops, but pray that God would give them strength and perseverance through it, which is right, both and. Persecution on the persecuted church is a, a big topic, and often we can feel very unqualified to know how to approach it. And maybe that is us. Maybe we'd love to pray for Christians more who suffer. Or maybe we're here this morning and actually the persecuted church rarely comes into our minds. But what about us in the UK? Do we face persecution in any way? Do we need to pray for one another when it comes to the world's response to our faith? Of course, we don't experience it in, in a way that we've just seen on, on the video. But there are increasing number of stories of people who suffer for their faith here. People getting into trouble with the law because they are Christians. You may think of nurses losing their jobs for praying with patients, or counsellors, counter-counsellors being sacked because they refuse to align with gay rights, street preachers being arrested for talking about sin. How, how should we pray for people like that? Maybe there are people in this room who suffer some kind of persecution. Maybe you wouldn't call it that. Maybe you would say it's, it's opposition to your faith. Maybe people in your family or your friends, your work colleagues, they mock you, they laugh at you, they give you a hard time because you're a Christian. It's experiencing opposition. How should we pray? And then what about those of us who just don't really face any kind of opposition or persecution? Is that okay? Is it okay for, for, for Christians not to suffer? 
Or could our lack of opposition sometimes be because perhaps we don't live a life that gives the impression that we're Christians and that we might possibly invite persecution? Lots of questions this morning for us to think about. Where do we begin when we think about a topic of persecution? Well, when it comes to the Apostle Paul and persecution, I'm sure we're going to get some helpful advice Persecution is almost a synonym for Paul, isn't it? Jesus said himself that Paul must suffer much for my name. And so whenever we see him talking about suffering, whenever he prays for persecution, then I guess we should take note. And here in 2 Thessalonians 3 particularly, he does. He prays himself for the Thessalonians and he asks for prayer for his own context. I'm going to think a bit about particularly chapter 3, the verses we read there as we we dig into this and see what we can learn and think about how we can pray for those who suffer. So firstly, we're going to think about um, verses 1 and 2. Paul begins this last prayer in verse verse 2. Particularly, he says, Pray for us that our message, verse 1, sorry, Pray for us that our message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honoured, just as it was with you. And pray that we might be delivered from wicked and evil people. For not everyone has faith. If suffering is part and parcel of the life of Paul, why does he pray for deliverance? Paul's life goal, his ambition was to serve Christ, was to proclaim the gospel no matter what the cost. And as you read the Bible, you see that in his life. He never really complains about it. He never wishes it goes away. His concern is no matter what he suffers, the gospel goes out. There's a wonderful example of that in Philippians. He's writing to them from prison, and he speaks about his his competitors, in inverted commas, people who are taking advantage of his chains for their own good. But Paul says, it doesn't matter. The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motive or true Christ is preached, and because of this, I rejoice. So what matters most to Paul is that the gospel gets out. But here he's praying that he may be delivered from wicked and evil people. So perhaps there are things hindering the gospel from going out because he is suffering, or particularly because he is in chains. The first thing I want to think about this morning is praying for God's deliverance, for the sake of the gospel. One commentator says about this bit, that Paul's prayer for deliverance from evil men is an extension of his prayer that the gospel may go forward unhindered. So what was it, perhaps, that's keeping Paul from taking the gospel? Maybe if you have a Bible, flick back to Acts chapter 18. might give us a clue. As you read through the book of Acts, you see Paul's missionary journeys, and he faces opposition pretty much anywhere he goes, doesn't he? Chapter 16, he's in prison in Philippi, and then he's in Thessalonica. Chapter 17, he's chased out of there, then he's chased out of Berea after that. Then in chapter 18, he's he's in Corinth. It's thought it's from Corinth that he's writing these letters to the Thessalonians, but he's not been away from them long. He writes as we 
If you remember last autumn, we did 1 Thessalonians in, in our autumn series, and Paul was concerned for them. He had to leave quickly, and, but yet they were still in, in, in persecution and suffering. And he was concerned that they would stand strong and wouldn't fall away. The Thessalonians were suffering, and we'll think about them in a minute. But so is Paul. Chapter 18, verse 4, we see Paul proclaiming the gospel in the synagogue, as he would do. Then in verse 6, he experiences opposition again. This time it's abusive. They're abusing him. Then you get to verse 12. And we see the Jews of Corinth made a united attack on Paul. And they brought him to the place of judgment. This man, they charged, is persuading the people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. The crowd are trying to shut him up. The crowd then, in verse 17, they turn on Sosthenes, the synagogue leader, this guy who we know from 1 Corinthians has become a Christian, and they beat him up. There's suffering and persecution wherever Paul goes. He's seeking to proclaim the gospel, yet there are men following him almost, chasing him, hunting him down, trying to stop his message, stop him from proclaiming the gospel. We won't look at it, but you jump to chapter 19, and then the Gentiles get involved. He's in Ephesus. A local businessman is worried because he's losing money. These new Christians are stopping buying the silver shrines he's selling. And so there's a riot. There's persecution. The Apostle Paul wants to be delivered from such people. He calls them wicked and evil. These people, their desire is to damage the cause of the gospel. They want to silence Christians. They want to get rid of Jesus. They don't believe. They don't have faith, as Paul says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. They don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah. They think Paul is a blasphemer. In their eyes, he should be killed. They're against God. They're against the truth. And so rightly... They're described as wicked, as evil people. Harsh words, but this is the truth of life. The Bible tells us that Satan is on the attack. The good news is that he's lost the war. He was defeated at the cross when Jesus died and he rose again. But he knows he has a little bit of time left before he is completely destroyed. And his plan is to damage the cause of the gospel. It's to shut Christians up. It's to cause them to waver and worry and doubt and deny their faith. As Christians, we are, we're in a battle, aren't we? A spiritual battle as we proclaim the good news as we should. The devil wants to hinder it. He wants to stop it. And often the way he does that is through persecution. Tries to do it is through persecution. And so our prayer should be, in one sense... To pray that God would deliver people when the gospel is being hindered from going out. Maybe you remember back in 2011, there was a, a much publicized campaign for the release of an Iranian pastor who had been arrested and put in prison. Christians from all over the world had gathered together to pray that he would be free. But of course, he's, he's only one of, of hundreds of Pastors in particular who get arrested and put in prison for being Christians. 
It seems that in recent years in Iran, there's been this organized operation to try to get rid of Christians, to put pressure on churches, to remove pastors, to shut up and silence the gospel. Christians being dragged out of prayer meetings and taken away to prison. Despite the government's promise to protect Christians, this still goes on. So why pray for deliverance? Well, I wonder maybe praying for the deliverance of people like pastors because they are the leaders of the church. Often they are the evangelists or they are particularly the ones who are training and are teaching others how to do it. And so rightly so, their enemies want to get rid of the leaders because they're the ones who are helping people to live for Christ. And so we pray for deliverance not so they won't be in, Christ- in prison. We pray for deliverance not just so they can be united to their families, although that's important. We pray for deliverance so that the gospel will continue to go forward and will continue to spread unhindered. Paul knows that suffering and persecution is part of his life. He will go through it. He doesn't want it to stop. But he doesn't want the gospel to be hindered by evil and wicked people. And so may it be our prayer that when we think of those who suffer persecution, that the devil wouldn't have his way in hindering the gospel through his schemes of whatever they may be. Christians don't only want to be free from their persecutors, but they want to pray for their persecutors. It's not a direct issue Paul addresses in this letter, but, but we know from his life, as he lives, as he goes around, he's proclaiming the gospel to everyone he meets. And often that's to leaders, it's to kings, it's to governors, to Roman rulers. We see that as we read through Acts. He tries to persuade those in high authority to become Christians. In many countries around the world, it's Islamic extremists who are trying to persecute the church. In India, right now, it's Hindu nationalists. In places like China and North Korea, it's atheistic regimes. In Mexico, it's gangs of organized corruption. They are evil and wicked people because they're against God and his gospel. But yet they are people who need to hear of the gospel. They need to hear about Jesus. And the amazing thing is often when you read prayer requests of people who are suffering, is pray for our persecutors. Pray that they would meet Jesus. Their desire is that this gospel would go forth that the church would grow. I mentioned Iran just before, and there are many suffering, there are many who don't have a chance, they're shot dead. There was one pastor who was killed, and yet his son is a pastor too, and and he said, I'm not afraid, I will keep on going. The gospel must continue. It is true, and it is worth it. Wicked and evil men will try and stop the gospel, try and close the church. But yet God's people believe in a message that is true and are willing to give everything. And we can praise God that although they do, the church continues to grow. And Iran has one of the fastest growing churches in the world. 
We can give thanks for that. But of course, deliverance from wicked and evil people is not always the way forward. It's often not what happens. It's not the only way the gospel can go out. And often God doesn't always answer those prayers with a yes. And Paul goes on in verses 3 to 5 of 2 Thessalonians 3 to talk about the Thessalonians who are still in suffering and persecution. As we saw on the video just before, Christians in North Korea are often taken to these death camps and are sent off there. Many don't even make it that far. But again, as we saw in the video, persecution for many means living in secret. It's meeting in underground churches. It's having your services monitored by the police. It's having your church buildings burnt down. It's smuggling Bibles. It's memorizing passages of scripture because you haven't got a Bible. Suffering is to be expected. It's part of the Christian experience and very much so for these people. Jesus tells his disciples in John 15 that if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. So how do we pray in such circumstances? How do we pray for people who suffer day by day by day from opposition to their faith? Well, Paul tells us that we need to pray for God's help. Pray that God would help them, but again, for the sake of the gospel. Let's read again from verse 2. Paul says, asking for himself, and pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil people, for not everyone has faith. But pray, the, but the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. We have confidence in the Lord that you are doing and will continue to do the things we command. May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. I think there are, there are four things in particular that, that Paul either prays for or asks for prayer for. And there he asks for God's strength. He asks that God would protect. He prays for their obedience and for their hearts. And again, I think it's with this, in one sense, it's with this motive that the gospel would go forward and would continue to grow and spread and that people would believe. Persecution, of course, was a reality for the Thessalonians. We don't know exactly what it was they were going through, but it was hard. But notice Paul doesn't pray here that it would stop. But he prays in light of God's faithfulness, knowing that he is the one in control. He is the one who helps. He prays that God would provide what they need. He prays that God would strengthen them, firstly. They need strength to be able to cope with their suffering. Can you imagine going through what they go through just in your own efforts? To withstand the beatings and the sufferings, the mocking, that constant fear that you will die at any minute. They need strength physically, mentally, spiritually. Strength that they wouldn't compromise their faith. They wouldn't just give in a little bit for the sake of some relief. Strength that they wouldn't give up their faith. It's just too hard and, and go back to their former religion. Because that is what the persecutors want, isn't it? 
One of the reasons they do that, particularly in Muslim strong countries, when someone is converted to Christianity, if they've not been killed already, sometimes they're given the opportunity to, to recant and to turn back to Islam. And in the face of death, that temptation could be strong. Prayer requests coming from, from Syria, from North Korea, right now, are filled with words from 2 Thessalonians 3. Pray for us. Pray that God would strengthen us. Pray that God would protect us. And so let that be our prayer, that God would strengthen them so that they would stand firm. And God does. And he has. He strengthened the Thessalonians. We read in 1 Thessalonians that Paul is, is impressed. He's thankful to God that these Christians, these new Christians, suffering for their faith, and yet they hadn't fallen away as he feared that that might have happened. But God had strengthened them. He'd protected them. God is faithful. And of course, standing firm in the face of opposition is a wonderful witness. It's a wonderful witness to those who are persecuting them. Why would you just give up? Why are you willing to die for this Jesus? Of course, it speaks volumes and many hear it and are converted to Christ. So firstly, pray that God would strengthen them. Secondly, that God would protect them. Quite similar but of course, Christians don't become Christians in order to die. Their desire is never to want to go out and be killed. Persecution is a response. They're willing to go through it, but they don't go hunting for it. And so Christians, they want prayer that God would protect them, protect them from harm, protect them from being imprisoned, protect them from torture, protect them from being found out protect them as they take and smuggle Bibles. They want these things to happen. So you pray that God would protect them and that it would continue because the gospel needs to go forward. They want to be protected from the evil one. Whether by that he means Satan or more generally evil people, it doesn't matter. The devil and the world want to stop the gospel. But God is faithful. He is in control. He is the one who can protect Christians. He is the one who, of course, through the Christians' lives, takes the gospel forward. God is faithful. God is faithful and, and he will never allow the evil one to take us away. He'll never allow harm come to us that's beyond what we're able to deal with. And so God will protect us. In the midst of persecution, he is the one who helps us to stand firm and to proclaim the gospel. What about us? How do you respond in the face of opposition? What is your attitude towards living and speaking for Jesus at work, amongst your neighbours? What excuses do we make up for not living in a way that would show that we are Christians. Often the challenge is we are so quick to keep our mouths shut 
in comparison, perhaps, to others who suffer. Maybe you're a teacher, maybe you're a med in the medical profession, and, and you know that actually you're not allowed to talk about your faith. That's hard. How do you deal with that? Maybe you're a student, and we know that Christian unions often find restrictions in their, their missions at university. In recent times, we've heard of B&B owners or cake decoration shop owners who have been taken to court because there's conflict between their faith and, and the world. There's wisdom in how we respond, I agree, and sometimes in those cases, perhaps, there was a level of unwisdom. Equality and political correctness are good to an extent and they have their place, but they come at a cost. And although it's denied by the world, I think it will only increase against Christians. And it's not just about British values. It's about a spiritual war that we are in. What goes on behind the scenes. The world hates God. And the world will hate you. Persecution might not come to us in the form of death and beatings, at least not now. People talk about it being a bit more sophisticated. We need to pray that God would help us to know how to live our lives and speak for Jesus. When to speak and when not to speak. That he would strengthen us, that we would stand firm, that we wouldn't compromise, that we'd know what that means. Well, Paul goes on and he prays for the Thessalonians and, and that's for us too, for our, how we live our lives. Particularly, he, he says in verse 4, we have confidence in the Lord that you are doing and will continue to do the things we command. Paul, throughout his letters, has been thankful to God for how the, the church there have continued to live for Christ despite their suffering. If you remember the first letter, he gives thanks for their faith, their love, and their hope. He gives thanks for how they've been loving one another despite their suffering. And he says, continue to do it. Keep on loving. Keep on living how you are living. Live lives that are worthy of the Lord. He prays that through their words and their deeds that the Lord would be honored, that the gospel would go forth, that they would bear witness. But in the face of persecution, it would be so much easier to just stop. <clears throat> to just stop speaking about Jesus. To just stop living in a way that's, that's different. If it's how we live that brings on the suffering, then just stop. But of course, the Thessalonians, and I pray this morning that we will know that the gospel is true. It is the truth. That life and death are important matters and that we need to continue to live and speak for Jesus and be prepared, whatever the consequences. The question, should all Christians be experiencing some, some sort of persecution? It's a big question. I don't think the answer is necessarily yes. But I guess the challenge for us is that if we don't suffer in any way, is it maybe because our lives don't reflect Christ in a way that would invite persecution in any sort of sense? 
Let's pray that God would strengthen us and protect us and help us to live for him that we wouldn't be afraid what people think. We wouldn't be afraid of the consequences. Paul has confidence not in the Thessalonians but in the Lord because it is him who helps. It's him who equips. It is him who helps them through. And his final prayer for the Thessalonians and his final, our final prayer should be for all those who suffer is that they would look to God. Verse 5. He prays, may the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and into Christ's perseverance. We know, don't we, that whenever we go through whatever difficult circumstances we may, may face, our, our thoughts, our, our feelings have a strain. There's, a, there's often a conflict sometimes between us and God. Our hearts can wander a little bit away from him. But Paul prays here that their hearts, their thoughts, their feelings, that their person would be directed to God, to his love, and to Christ's perseverance. And of course, whenever we remember God, when we think about who he is, when we meditate on his love for us, how we see the love he's shown for us in Christ, our hearts are warmed. When we think of Christ and all that he went through, in humbling himself to become a man, to suffer and die, to face opposition himself, to be nailed to a cross, to persevere through it all. It helps us. We remember that he is the one who gives us the power. He is the one who helps us to stand strong as we trust in him. Notice uh, Charlie read some verses before, chapter 3 and Verse 16, Paul says, he prays again, he says, May the Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. It's the gospel, it's the work of Christ, it's him, it's the Holy Spirit that equips us and helps us and encourages us and strengthens us to live for him. But of course, it's not only that, it's also the hope, it's also the, the future, it's also what is to come that keeps us going, that motivates us. And if you flick back over the page to the beginning of 2 Thessalonians, Paul speaks about this to them. He encourages them. And from verse 4 he says, Therefore among God's churches we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you are enduring. Verse 5, all this is evidence that God's judgment is right. And as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire and with his powerful angels. There will be a day when the Lord Jesus will come back and there will be no more death. There will be no more persecution, no more suffering, no more prison, no more beatings, no more meeting in secret. There will be relief for the Christian. 
They will be just punishments for those who have rejected Christ. All wrongs will be dealt with. God will deal with that. Our job, in a sense, is to live for Christ. It's to honour him. It's to proclaim the good news of the gospel to the people that we meet. So how is it that we pray for persecuted Christians? How do we pray for ourselves when we face opposition? Or let us pray that whenever the gospel is hindered, that God will deliver us so that it may go forward and go forth and spread. But not only spread, but that it will be received, it will be honoured by people, that the church would grow. Church grows through persecution. Let's pray that God would strengthen and protect those who suffer. Particularly that he would guard their hearts, that people would look to him live for him. Let's pray for ourselves that we wouldn't be afraid, but that we would trust in the Lord, the faithful one. Let's pray that we would be bold and wise in how we live and speak for him. And even if we suffer, we would know that God is faithful and the church will continue to grow. We're going to spend some time in a, in a moment praying for persecuted Christians. And we're going to take the Lord's Supper too. But let's keep these things in mind. And when you go away, please pray for persecuted Christians. There are some really helpful resources out there. If you simply Google praying for persecuted Christians, I'm sure that would lead you to many good websites. But think of Open Doors. The Barnabas Fund, Christian Solidarity Worldwide. There are some good Christian charities who provide really helpful resources and prayer requests and information and videos that we've just seen that will help us and aid us as we pray for the world. And that will then inspire us too to live for Christ in our own context. So let's pray. Let's pray right now for. Heavenly Father, we. We know and understand that, as Jesus has told us, the reality of life as a Christian is that uh, if the world hated you, the world will hate us. The reality is that Satan is out trying to silence the gospel, trying to cause Christians to doubt you. We are in a battle. And Father, we are aware that for many, many Christians that are all around the world, this is a, a big issue. It's a daily experience. And Father, would you help us to understand a bit of that? Would you help us to learn about what our brothers and sisters go through? And would you help us to know how to pray for them? And Lord, for ourselves this morning, Lord, that challenge to you, to live our lives for you. And Lord, you know, if there are ways we know that we're not living for you because we're afraid of what people will say, God, would we be bold? Would we see the gospel is true? That people are going to hell without it and that it's worth it, whatever we suffer. May we be able to encourage one another as we live for Christ day by day 
in our own context. And we pray. We pray for the future of this country. Well, whether persecution would come in an increasing measure, please help us, strengthen us, and protect us so that we can stand strong, stand firm on the truth. And we pray this so that the gospel would go forth and the church would grow and your kingdom would come. Amen.